Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For our second segment, I'm excited to have Ken and Dick, veteran of College Coach and the Swarthmore and Drexel Admission Offices. He and I will be discussing that age-old question, how many AP classes should I take? We'll be answering the question behind the question, which is, what do I need to take to get into college? For our third segment, Emily Toffelmeyer, formerly of the University of Southern California Undergraduate Admission Office and currently of College Coach, will be joining me for our office hours to discuss visiting colleges over spring break. But first, we'll be talking with Stacy McFeeders about the financial questions to ask at Admitted Students Day. So for those of you who are lucky enough to already be into college or who will be being admitted very soon, uh, what kinds of questions, what sort of follow-ups can you do once you go visit those colleges? Uh, welcome, Stacy. Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. I'm always... Um, well, I'm interested in all my segments, but I think I'm particularly interested in the finance segments because I know the least about them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm always learning something new, and it, it actually has proven to be helpful when I'm talking to people. So I can give them a tip here, here or there, but then I say, you need to talk to an expert. <laughs> so uh, Absolutely. All right. So first off, like when someone is visiting, they've been admitted. Um, are there certain offices that they should visit or speak with to get specific finance related questions answered? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as we've probably said on the show before, we always encourage families to consider going to the accepted student days because it, it gives you sort of a different view than, you know, when you might have visited when you were a prospective student. Um, but when it comes to sort of finance matters, there are definite questions families are going to want the answers to um, when sort of making that, that final decision. So when you think about the offices on campus that you might want to visit or, or you know, talk to maybe in a, in a general session or individual sort of one-off situations, I think it goes without saying that if you are a family that is qualifying for, interested in, um, applied for, need-based financial aid, the financial aid office is probably your first stop. Um, probably also want to have some conversations with some folks in the Bursar's office otherwise maybe known as the Student Accounts Office. Um, probably similar questions for residence life, health services, um, and maybe even the bookstore. And the reason I mentioned so many offices is because so many of them have sort of financial components to what they do. Uh, so when you think about the financial aid office, first and foremost, you want to be sure to, uh, that you understand how you as parents will obtain access to financial aid information. Um, you probably all know that there are, there are certain FERPA laws in place that don't allow parents access once the students have been admitted. However, very often students can be granted access, so you want to make sure if that's something you need to do, you understand how to go about doing that. Um, you know, then there are certain other financial aid-related questions. Are loans a part of the package? If so, how does that work? When does that paperwork need to be completed? And, and a lot of other sort of things along those lines. And then certainly all of the other offices that we talked about um, have, have other specific, you know, specific questions that we could walk you through as well. All right. And so what specific questions should um, someone be asking the financial aid office, you know, related yep. to need-based financial aid? 
Definitely. So I think the first and foremost applies to to many of the offices, and that's that FERPA FERPA, uh, related questions that we ask. So that would definitely have a bearing on financial aid, on the student accounts, on residence life. It would even actually give you access to your students' grades, believe it or not. So that's probably the primary, is what do families need to do to be sure that they have the access that they might want, and is it available? From there, you're going to have very specific questions from the financial aid perspective. So, for example, if the student was awarded federal work-study, how are those jobs allocated? Is the student expected to apply for and perhaps interview for those when they've arrived on campus? Is there anything they would do during a, during a first-year orientation program? Um, are there community service jobs available as a part of the federal work-study program? If federal work-study wasn't available or wasn't awarded, are there other on-campus jobs um, that, that, that they would be considered for, and how would a student go about doing that? Um, so that's related to work study. When it comes to uh, federal loans, I mentioned loans a moment ago, there will be certain requirements that students will have to complete. They'll have to do some counseling around the rights and responsibilities. Uh, they'll have to complete some paperwork. Is that something they could do now, or is it something that you'll do you know, from home over the summer? Um, and then when it comes to, to loan proceeds, how are those sent to the school? Do they go directly to the account? How are those sort of all handled in the, the big picture? Um, and another might be specific to outside scholarships. So a lot of students are going to be awarded scholarships maybe through their high school at grad nights or other type um, you know, outside scholarship programs. You need to know how the school wants those handled. Do they need to be reported to the school? In most cases, they should be. And then should the checks be sent directly to financial aid? Should they be sent to the bursar's office? So those are a lot of sort of the, the details that you might want to have in place to make sure you understand what their expectations would be and how they would, how they would handle funds like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there billing-related issues that families should understand in advance of enrollment? Definitely. So billing is probably the biggest area that, that – families will want to drill into before making final decisions because it actually could have a bearing on, on some, of, some of what might be included. Um, and that might be, you know, when, when do bills come and then when do they do? Um, that's something that people don't anticipate. Is it, It's not unusual that you would get your, your fall semester bill maybe in July and it would be due as soon as August. So families need to know sort of how to, anticip, how to anticipate that. Um, certain things around expenses, you know, are there meal plan options? And if so, what are those? Can the, can the student sort of opt in and opt out during different times of the, of the, of the um, academic year? You know, if they're finding, for example, that you pay for three meals a day and they're only going to two, can those things change? Um, this is a way, you know, getting really familiar with these sort of practices around billing is a way to sort of decide how you as a family will budget for the entire process that the student is enrolled. Mm-hmm. And then certainly when it comes to billing, you're going to want to understand things like payment plans. Is there a payment plan? How does that work? Um, you know, if there's a, ever an overpayment and a refund needed to be issued, how would it be issued? So those are all things that you might want to consider because it kind of could lead back to your ultimate decision, how you budget, how you make your, your family decisions. And then I think finally, probably more financial aid than billing, you really want to be sure you have an understanding of, um, of your award. Is it the best offer the school can make? Um, you know, is everything included? Are there things that you should be looking at that haven't been included? Um, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important for families to know that they're actually in the, you know, they're in kind of the more powerful seat now. I mean, they might not feel like it, but once their child has been admitted, the colleges do want to make it work for them. 
So this is when colleges are going to be most motivated um, to get a financial aid package together that'll work for them. Is that what you found as exactly. well? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I mind mean, you. It's funny. Oh, go ahead. I think most families think that, it's, you know, the open houses when students are sophomores, juniors, you know, that that's when the school is putting their best foot forward, and certainly it is. But for these accepted student days, these are students that they have clearly, um, you know, have, have a, this is when you have a lot of opportunity to figure out, you know, how things will work best for your family, where the schools will be most sort of willing to participate with you. So take advantage of the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a time when you can ask some really direct questions um, and Absolutely. you should ask those questions of everybody. And, and I mean, you know, right now we're talking about finances, which I think for most families is the biggest stressor. But as someone who worked in admissions, it's a good time to ask questions about everything. So. Absolutely. All right. Any- Absolutely. Yeah. What what should people be asking that they might not have even considered? So there's a couple of areas that, as you know, as I think about this question, there's a couple of areas that 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 come to mind for me. And I think one, I know we've covered on the show before, but one is, you know, there is a real opportunity here when you're visiting these schools, your your captive audience, if you haven't already taken advantage of, you know, either appealing or negotiating your need-based financial aid or merit offers, think about whether or not that's something you want to make a part of your visit. It's a great time to do it. When you're face-to-face, you can, you know, you can really state your case. So that's something that I think we've obviously covered, but definitely should be mentioned on this particular uh, topic as well. And then other things that you might not be thinking about is where do you as a family have the opportunity to maybe um, economize or budget a little bit more? So when visiting the campus, get a real feel for, you know, what type of, uh, you know, bookstore is on campus? Is it, you know, run by the college? Is it an outside entity? Um, Can you identify any sort of outside affiliations that might allow you to economize? You know, could you get your books online versus the bookstore? Um, Think about things like health care, health services, um, again, all finance-related. Most colleges will charge health insurance fee, but if the student is covered by your family policy while in college, make sure you're looking into waiving that. You don't necessarily need double coverage. But at the same time, make sure you're asking questions about actual health services. So not health insurance, but if the student were to get ill while on campus, are there facilities on campus? Is that covered by your your health insurance? Will they be sent off campus? Is that covered by your insurance? So things that a lot of families don't necessarily consider, but again, can be a part of the sort of big picture. Make sure you understand how that works. You know, something as simple as a, you know, a cold or strep throat could be costly if you're not entirely sure how it's covered by the college. Um, So again, you know, we're covering a lot of ground here, but I think when you think about anything related to your finances, having a really good idea of how it's going to work if the student selects that school and is living on campus or even off campus, how are all of these things going to be handled, you know, from your financial aid to your job to your billing, um, your meal plans, your health care, all of it sort of comes together. When you think about all those expenses, you want to be sure that you have a, a handle on what they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and while we have talked about a lot of these things before, maybe even all of them, I think people might not be putting it together that really now is the time to ask if there's any of those questions that you haven't had answered. This really is the time to ask those questions. Um, anything else? I like any more? Yeah, any kind of additional questions that you could ask maybe the financial aid office or the bursar's office? It seems to me that those are probably where the biggest bills are coming from, although, you know, um, certainly the bookstore can be pretty pricey too. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you just want, you know, when it comes to financial aid, whether it's, you know, need-based, merit, the Bursar's office, you know, I think you want to have a general sense of how things are going to work, but you also might want to think about the future. So sort of the last area I would be sure to cover would be making sure you understand what the subsequent years look like. So, for example, when you're talking to the financial aid office, certainly don't be afraid to ask the questions about future years. So you know what your award looks like now. Will your award remain similar from year to year? You'll probably find that most schools will tell you if your financial circumstances remain similar, your aid will remain similar, but make sure you know what that means. Um, If the student has received merit scholarships, be very clear on what those students need to do to maintain those scholarships. So if there's a certain GPA threshold that they have to meet, make sure you're aware of that. Um, And then certainly if you know things are changing in your family circumstances, perhaps you have one student in college right now, but at some point along the line there might be two, Ask the question about what the aid on impact, the impact on aid will be, um, because they absolutely should be able to give you a glimpse into what that will look like. So I always like to advise that when you're thinking about making this commitment, don't think about making it year to year. Think about what the entire period of enrollment would be. If you're looking at a four-year program, what is the four years going to look like for your family if everything remains similar or if there are anticipated changes? Um, and just sort of, you know, as you're really making that final decision, take a look at that sort of last big picture. We know how to handle this year. What is, you know, the second year, third year, fourth year and beyond look like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, this is going to be the time when you'll be in the better negotiating position. I have heard, I don't know, this is kind of opening up a can of worms and we only have one minute, but I have heard of colleges kind of decreasing aid awards in the second year, or I should say merit awards. I mean, is there a way that people could guard against that? So it's a great question. And, you know, we hear that people think that happens a lot. And the reality is most schools generally will say that what you've been awarded at the time of admission, if it's the way it was awarded, will be maintained for the number of years that you're enrolled as long as the criteria is met or the the family's financial circumstances remain similar. But what I would be sure of, particularly when it comes to merit, since that's what you're asking about, before you sign on the dotted line, know exactly what you need to do or what that award was based on. So years ago, we used to see that merit scholarships were generally awarded for four years. So it was X amount for four years, you know, each year, you know, whatever the the disbursement would be. But we're now starting to see things like you've been awarded a scholarship for your first year. So it may be worth making sure you're very clear on the renewability and what the requirements are. And generally, when you meet those requirements, if there is a renewability clause, you, you should be fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that is good news. Certainly none of the colleges that I worked at did that. If students met the requirements, they got it about four years. But, you know, since I hear that, I think it's important to talk about it. So completely uh, agree. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Stacy. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Okay. Now we're going to be taking a short break, but when we return, I'll be talking to Ken and Dick about course selection. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we'll now be talking to Ken and Dick about course selection. Welcome, Ken. Thank you very much for having me. So the official title of this segment is how many APs do I need to have, which I don't know about you, but I get this question multiple times a week, I would say. Like people are looking for that perfect kind of, um, you know, menu of what you need to take every year to get into the most selective colleges. And they're always very disappointed when I mention that, you know, three might not actually be as competitive as six, depending on the high school that you go to. So do you, uh, and we'll go into this in more depth for those of you who are listening, who are now terrified that the thought that their child has to take six (laughs) APs to get into college. I want to be clear that that's not true. Um, Most colleges are not going to require anything close to that if they even require APs at all. Um, But uh, like, yeah, tell me about your experience with getting that question, Kenan. Like yours, it happens all the time, um, uh, multiple times a week, uh, as, you, as you described. And what I usually find is that the, the question behind the question is that they're, they're looking for some sort of prescription as to what do I need to do in order to be a competitive applicant for some of these highly selective colleges. And, um, and part of that, you know, sometimes the disappointing answer that we give them is that it really depends, right? So there's no one answer. There's no magic number. There's no prescription that we can provide that's going to say, this is what will make you competitive. 
And part of the reason for that is that they, they understand the context of their own high school, but they don't really understand the context of multiple high schools. So one of the examples that I like to use, um, and I'm based in the Philadelphia area, so I'll use kind of some of our, our local examples here, is that um, to be competitive, we're looking at the context of your own high school. So, for instance, um, in our area, there's a, a public high school, Cherry Hill East, where students may have, you know, three, four, five um, AP courses in, um, in a particular year. And those are the students who are at the top of the class. Whereas across the river at St. Joe's Prep, they only allow their students to have two APs in their junior year and two APs in their senior year. And that's it, with very few exceptions. So... Obviously, you know, um, if you're a selective college, you're not going to take all of your kids from Cherry Hill East and never consider a student from St. Joe's Prep. That would just be odd, right? So we have to look at what the student is doing within the context of that high school and the choices that they're making within their curricular choices. And so the answer to the question is usually that whatever the other students are doing near the top of their class, if you want to be competitive with that group of students, then you need to be taking a course load that's seen as equally as rigorous as the ones that they're taking. And one of the things that they often then will next ask is, you know, is about the quality of the APs. And, um, and this often gets mixed into the question about GPAs and weighted GPAs and things like that. And what I tell them is that you, know, you can have two students with the exact same GPA, but one student is taking AP Psych, AP Human Geography, and AP Econ. And the other one is taking AP Calc BC, AP Physics, and AP Language. Those are going to be weighted in the GPA the exact same way, but those are not equal workloads. So mm-hmm. for those really competitive schools, you know, the kid who's taking the BC calculus, the physics, and the language, that's a much more rigorous course load than the other student, even though they have the same GPA. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to those really highly selective schools, those are the kinds of details that we're looking at when we're trying to find out who are the strongest students in this class. And usually if you, if you ask a student, you know, about the, the rigorousness of, of classes, they know. You know, they know which ones are easier than others. And so, you know, the choices that we're asking them to make are choose that rigorous course over the one that's less rigorous. And that will usually steer you in the right direction when it comes to these highly selective schools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I often have to tell students, you know that everyone who works in college admission went to high school, right? Because you're not putting one <laughs> over on us. We know that AP psychology is not as rigorous as AP US history. Everybody knows that. Just as you know it in your high school, we mm-hmm. know it because it was the same way in our high school. <laughs> so Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> so you always be, have to you know, assume a really pretty good base of knowledge on the part of the admission counselor. Keep that in mind. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and we're yeah. always kind of, when we're reading these applications, we're always kind of um, open to those anomalies. So um, another one of my favorite examples is at Eastern High School, um, there's a physics teacher, and I'm going to get the name wrong, but I think it's Mr. Feynman or Mr. Feinkold, who, um, who is just a really tough grader. So 
almost no one gets an A from his class. And uh, the guidance counselors always talk about how difficult the class is and how difficult the grading is uh, from, from his AP physics class. And you would regularly see students who are getting C pluses or B minuses in his class, but are knocking out 800s on the AP, on the physics exam or fives on the AP uh, physics exam. And so clearly, you know, the data backs up what the guidance counselors are telling us about the difficulty of, of his class. But the value of that is that you know that the kid who takes that class is doing it for the right reasons. They're not doing it because it's an easy A. They're doing it because they want to learn physics. And he's really good at doing that. Mm-hmm. And the colleges also know in that situation that a B plus is an incredible grade. You know, they, exactly. they take that kind of thing into account as well. A B plus in that class is going to be like an A plus in any other class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly All right. right. So what if, well, so there's kind of two questions and they're somewhat combined. One is, is it just about the AP, IB or honors courses? How many of those courses a student takes? Um, you know, are colleges looking in terms of rigor at non-AP courses, for example, non-IB, non-honors, do they still care? Because it's something that I've noticed a lot. Like I'll ask a student, so what are you taking? And they'll just tell me their AP classes. And I'm like, I know you're taking more than three classes. What else are you taking this year? (laughs) It still matters to me that you're taking a foreign language in English, even if it's not at the honors or AP level. So, So what are your thoughts about that? Definitely. Um, We're definitely looking at these other courses as well. And one of the things that we're looking at, I think, um, is twofold. First, we're looking at the core courses, right? So even though that Spanish class, may uh, Spanish 4 might not be an honors level class, we still like to see that fourth year of Spanish. Um, And similarly for for other coursework, we're also looking at those, um, the the extra courses that the students are taking to help define their interest, perhaps. So if a student's interested in, you know, computer science, then they may be taking um, a Java course or they may be taking um, a CS course of another type to learn some of those programming skills that they know that they will need later. Or a student might take an engineering course or an art class or something along those lines that may not have that same weighted distinction, but are an expression of an interest that they want to pursue. Mm-hmm. So we certainly look at it in that regard. And then, you know, again, the context of the school matters. So, you know, the Baldwin School, which is a, a very prestigious um, uh, private school in the Philadelphia area, is they don't have any AP courses, right? And if you look at, so they basically have accelerated and what they call AT, which is um, kind of an advanced class. And basically, you know, if you look at the students and where they're going, they're getting into very selective schools. So it's not all about, you know, the honors or the AP, but it's about, again, making those choices, being um, a strong overall academic. And that's part of what we're trying to, you know, distinguish when we're reading these transcripts and reading more about the students and their applications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, an example that I'll give, I was working with a student who really didn't take any honors or AP courses, um, and she actually got off the wait list at James Madison. And I think part of the reason Mm -hmm. was that going into her senior year, she continued to take five solids, like she did take a fourth year of Spanish. Now, that wasn't required. But since her grades hadn't always been at the top level, Spanish was a class she was getting an A in. When I asked her why she wanted to drop it, she said, well, I wanted to take a break. And I said, this is a class you get an A in. 
Like, like don't, mm-hmm. this is something that the colleges are also going to recognize. And I know that to some of our listeners, that's going to seem obvious, but to other listeners, they're going to say, why does it matter? Especially because this student didn't want to be a foreign language major. She wanted to be an accounting major, but colleges are looking for rigor overall. And so even though she didn't strictly speaking have to take that fourth year or even really her third year, um, I think that taking that fourth year among other decisions that she made helped her get into a school that was really a pretty big reach for her. Exactly. Exactly. And those are the kinds of choices that we're respecting and looking to to see if, if you know, if they're making those types of choices, then that sends a definite signal about signal to us about how they're preparing for college readiness, right? To to kind of take those courses at the next level. And mm-hmm. one of the other things that I think is um, important to note about you know AP courses and and similarly rigorous courses is that you know that is the point is you're trying to use your experience at high school to get ready for college. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite examples of this is my own daughter who, you know, for her, academics never came easily and the history courses never came easily. That was like her least favorite. But she took AP U.S. History and a push she will credit to um, getting the GPA that she has in college um, and simply because taking that class forced her to learn how to learn about a subject that she wasn't terribly interested in, but learn more efficiently and effectively. And that's what she credits her, her college experience to, is just that experience in A-Push. So sometimes it can be a, a decent litmus test to, um, to making sure that your, your student is ready for that level of paced class. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you bring up a really good point. I think sometimes um, parents and even more so students um, and I'm quite sure I was the same at my age, um, are very short-sighted. They're just thinking about getting into college and they're not thinking about preparation for college. So, you know, if they mm-hmm. don't want to take the harder math class, if they want to take, you know, regular statistics instead of pre-calculus, then I'll say, well, what are you planning on majoring in college? What are you, what kinds of, you know, are you going to have to take calculus when you get to college? So you need to prepare for that. You need to think about the courses in college that you're going to need to prepare for. And it's always sort of amazing to me what a revelation that is to people. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, once you're in, you're, you're in and everything's gold and easy, right? It's like, no, (laughs) sometimes that's when the trouble starts, honestly. So, um, so yeah, really recommend that people think about like, what do you need to do to prepare for your college goals? And that can be both in terms of the level of rigor of the college you want to go to your possible major, or even if you're undecided needing to still take courses in a broad range of areas. So um, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, how do you? Ex- Go ahead. Okay. So, one of the things that I was thinking about actually is so. Obviously, it's not all about taking AP and honors. And for those of you listening to us today, if your kid's not going to an Ivy, they're not going to a school that needs APs. That's fine. But like, let's let's circle back quickly to the. This, um, the parents who are thinking that their kid might be, you know, their kid's a straight A student, um, they're heading into mm-hmm. 10th grade, they have the option of taking a couple APs, but the parents think this might be too much. And then, or maybe even more so they're heading into 11th grade, you know, how can they figure out what their kid can handle? Like what, what kind of advice do you give people in that situation? That's always a really difficult question. Um, and there's, there's two aspects of, of this. One is that as a parent, 
um, you'll probably have a good gauge of what they're ready for next. And they, you know, it's just like, you know, if you're training as an athlete, you have to do those hard workouts to, 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 you know, get to the next level. And your academics is no different. I mean, you have to take some of these more challenging courses, figure it out and get through them in order to be ready for that. Right. I mean, for every kid who's going into the junior year, the ABCs is, is second nature, right? It's not hard. And at some point, you know, they're going to say in college, boy, I thought, uh, you know, AP U.S. history was hard. This is even harder. And so you have to stretch and grow. But at the same time, you know, if these are, if your student is in honors courses and they're, you know, spending three or four hours a, a night of homework and they're really kind of grinding it out, going up and taking two AP courses is probably not a great idea. Maybe you kind of take a step back in, in some of those honors courses and take one AP um, and try to find that good balance. The second piece to it is that if you bring these concerns to your guidance counselor, chances are if you start the year in an AP course and say, hey, I'm going to try AP chemistry, but if it becomes overwhelming, you usually will have the option of being able to scale it back to honors uh, chemistry. It's very difficult to go in the other direction. If you're taking honors chemistry and you're finding it to be a snooze, it's hard to um, make it into AP because you have so much work to catch up on and the pace is already fast. So if you take those concerns to the guidance counselor, usually you can find that there are some um, safety valves that you can trigger. Um, and then it's important to know what date in that year you'll need to make that determination. Some schools will let you go well into October, November. Others, it may be a three-week uh, time frame before you have to make a decision to drop back or not. Mm-hmm. So, I think- um, so I would say to parents, you know, encourage them to stretch, um, think very soberly about what they're capable of now and what you think they can stretch into. And then, um, you know, again, have those conversations with the guidance counselor to see if there's a safety net. Mm-hmm. And just to reiterate a point you made earlier, I think, yeah, how hard are they working now, you know, before mm-hmm. they've taken any APs? And, you know, so if a student is really having a pretty easy time of it, then they definitely need to stretch. If on the other hand, your student is working really as hard as they can already, then probably you just don't want to up the game too much. You know, you might need to a little because every year ends up being a little bit more rigorous. But um, but yeah, mm-hmm. you, you need to really look and kind of be honest about how hard your child is already working. I think that's probably the most crucial thing to think about. I agree. All right. Well, I think, um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, Kenan. My pleasure. It was great talking with you. Great talking with you. All right, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, I'll be welcoming Emily Tofelmeyer for Office Hours when we'll be discussing visiting colleges over spring break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. All right. So like the last topic, this is something that I get asked about really regularly. Like what, what do you, what are you supposed to do when you visit a college? What's a good time to visit colleges and what does visiting a college actually mean? So how do you answer when you get that question? Huh, okay. Well, first off, I would say when to visit, we're coming up on a great time. I think to visit uh, spring break is coming up for most students. So I think that's a great time because High school spring break doesn't usually coincide with college spring breaks. So that means you don't have to miss school. But you'll be visiting a college when there are actually students on campus. So I do think during the school year is the ideal time to go. I know summer is more convenient for most people. Um, so I don't discourage that, but I think you don't really get the full feeling for what the campus is like when there are another 5,000 to 30,000 people walking around while you're there. So spring break, I'd say, is the next perfect time to go. And I think the main thing to keep in mind is just to make it official, to register ahead of time for a tour, an information session, rather than just dropping by the campus. And so how do you how do you register for the tour? Usually everything is online at this point. So you can simply go to a university's admission website. There's usually a button that says visit. 
And that will take you usually to a calendar where you're going to sign in with uh, your email, maybe set up a little user account, pick a time that works for you. And you should do this ahead of time if you're looking at spring break. This varies a lot campus to campus, but I know when I worked at University of Southern California, some of those spring break tours, they were full and they were capped and we still had lecture halls full of people we were presenting to. So they were huge, but we did have to set a limit on those. So don't wait until the last minute. Go to the website and sign up. And a really important note, um, parents, I would have your student actually sign up for these using their own email address. You can watch them while you do this. If it makes you feel better, make sure they're doing everything right. But I do encourage the student to be the one who actually signs up for the program. Mm-hmm. I can I can second this, by the way. I made a rookie mistake, and I, I took my uh, nephew on tours, and now I'm getting emails from those colleges. So I'm going to have to, like, I'm going to have to go in and change the email address uh, to my nephews. So um, now what other things can students do when they're visiting colleges? Like, I think the basic tour and information session, I think, is a really nice kind of intro visit. But are there are there other options? Yeah, there are usually add-ons you can choose, and sometimes these will be obviously available on the admission website. Other times, they won't. You have to do a little bit of extra work to really make the visit count. So in addition to the tour and the info session, you might have the option to uh, visit a class or sit in on a class. That usually is limited just to the students. No offense, parents, but professors don't want you in there. Um, But this is something where a student can sign up for a class visit online. If you don't see it readily available on the website, the student can call the admission office, ask if it's possible on a certain day to sit in on a class, and they'll probably talk to you about your future major, try to find a class that's a fit for you. So remember, if you go in the summer, probably not going to be as much of an option. Um, So I would take advantage of that. I've also talked to some students who, if they do go in the summer or a time when there aren't as many classes available, they still may be able to meet with a faculty member who might still be on campus doing research or having office hours. And that could just be a casual coffee conversation with a professor in your intended major. And to set those up, students often just reach out either to the admission office or to the faculty through email. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes to the faculty secretary, I think. Yeah, there's usually a helpful person manning a desk somewhere in the department who's going to help you. So I would talk to the professors, but I think it's also important to not talk just to the faculty and the admission staff and the admission tour guides who are usually current students, but to take some more unstructured time while you're on campus to just walk around and have lunch in the courtyard or have a main dining hall um, to ask current students about their majors or why they decided to go there. And I do encourage students to do some of this maybe without the parents. Um, you, You feel infinitely cooler on a college campus if you're not walking around with your parents. So maybe at some point, split up the family, have the student walk around and just ask some questions independently. Mm-hmm. I actually uh, worked with a family where the son was pretty shy, great kid, but definitely shy. And uh, his father told him, if I'm taking you to visit these colleges, you have to go up and talk to students, like not just the tour guide. And it actually worked really well. And he was very nervous to do the first one. But then after that, he said he found that students were actually like very um, eager and, you know, happy to talk to him, happy to orient him. Now, he was also looking at smaller liberal arts colleges, but I would think that would be still be the case at a place like USC. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, the students there love to 
talk to prospective students about why they chose USC and how happy they were. You know, it's a very happy feeling campus. Uh, and I think that if you walk around campus and people are biting your head off if you talk to them, hey, maybe that's a sign it's not the most welcoming, happy place and maybe not a place that's really going to be a fit for you. Um, but if you are painfully shy, I think you can still observe, listen, watch. You can pick up the school newspaper. You can stop by the student union. Yeah, there's ways to kind of quietly make your way around campus if you know that that's going to uh, be an uncomfortable conversation for you. There's other ways you can kind of gather information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, eavesdropping is rude, but I absolutely recommend doing it on college <laughs> campuses. <laughs> Which, you know, it's the only thing I recommend. <laughs> Yeah. I do it myself when I go visit. I'm just curious what the students are talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, if they're talking about like nerdy things like arguing about their last class or if they're talking about, you know, the big game that's coming up or that just happened, you know, all those things can be sort of interesting and informative about, you know, what the campus culture is like. Yeah. And while you're doing all of this, also, I think one thing we always remind students of is to take notes, whether it's during the tour during the info session, while you're eavesdropping on strangers, um, I think just having either a notebook or your phone handy to take those notes because it's not only going to help you keep everything sorted because if you're a student who's been on more than two campus tours, you know it gets really blurred in your memory about what was what and what was unique about each campus. So if you're taking notes, it helps you in the moment, but it's also going to help you later when you might be writing supplemental essays, you might be making final decisions about where to apply or attend all those notes that you took are going to come in handy several times later. Mm -hmm. I'm really going to second that because I can't tell you how often I've asked students, you know, I've said, Oh, you visited, um, you know, you visited UCLA. What did you think? Or, you know, you visited Occidental. What did you think? Or whatever the college might be. And the answer is I liked it or I didn't. And then when I follow up with why they're like, I don't know. I just liked it. Like, that's not going to cut it. I can't like you're, it's not going to help you sort out, what you're looking for in a college, because these college visits are not just about whether you like this particular college, they're also going to be what did what did you like? What was important to you about these colleges so that you can try and find other colleges that have those same qualities. So I always like to emphasize that to students. So yeah, Emily, I'll just point I, out, if you're going to take notes on your phone, make sure your tour guide knows you're taking notes. We've kind of joked about this before about how make it obvious you're not just texting on your phone if you're using the notes app. <laughs> So make some good eye contact and make it obvious that you're taking notes and not just texting your friend while you're on the tour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's a dead giveaway if you're looking down at your phone and laughing. That's very clear that you're not, (laughs) that you're texting with a friend. Um, So yeah, I think take a note, look up, take a note, look up, make it clear that you are paying attention. Um, So while they're there, we've talked to them about asking questions. What are... You know, often people ask me, you know, what kinds, what questions should I ask when I'm on a college campus? So how do you respond to that question? Oh, I think it depends so much on on what's important for you. That would be like, you know, if you were going to a job interview and you asked me what questions should I ask, I would say, Sally, I don't know. What's important to you? What are you looking for? Um, So I think it's the same with the campus tours. And, And that can be challenging. Some students don't know yet what's important for them or what matters. Um, But some examples of things that I think are, are relevant, valid questions that are have a, a good audience in a tour setting um, would be things like like class sizes and professor interaction. So especially if you're looking at some bigger universities, but you know that you like professor interaction, you like small class discussions, then maybe you want to ask not what's your average class size, but 
maybe you can ask your tour guide, when you were a freshman, what, were, what was the size range of your classes? Were they all big? Was it a mixture? Did they get smaller as you got older? Uh, maybe ask those questions. Did your professors know your name? Did you go to their office hours? Um, so I think if that is important for you, then feel free to ask because I think in that setting, you're going to get a more candid answer. Mm-hmm. And I like how you've rephrased the question. Every tour guide is told to talk about average class size and that sort of thing. But if you do ask more specifically, what was your experience in your first year? You know, how big were those classes? Then you're going to get, I think, something that might be a truer picture. Um, And they can maybe even tell you about, uh, you know, what their friends' experience were. Like if they were an engineering major and their French was an English major, how did that differ? Um, All right. Any pet peeves, any questions that students I mean, I, I sort of feel like I don't want to tell students not to ask questions, but there are questions that maybe maybe are less ideal. So any any kind of pet peeves that you wish people wouldn't do? Yeah, I would say really broad, generic questions were not my favorite when I was working at USC. Um, questions that were very easy, easy to find online or on our brochures, that was kind of annoying. Um, but I know one of my least favorite college fair questions, now college fairs are overwhelming for students, but maybe even more so for admission reps because it's just one person after the other asking you questions. And one of my least favorite was always, how's your psychology program? That's just such a big, open-ended, broad question. You know, it's good. It's strong. You know, it really depends on what did you want out of the psychology program? Like, did you want clinical? Did you want developmental? Do you want research access and education focus? Um, that really depended. So I think before you just bust out with a very generic question, just get more specific. Like, if I'm a psychology major here, will I have access to undergraduate research funds? Right? That gets mm-hmm. a little more specific and is a question that somebody who works at the university could definitely answer. Mm-hmm. And how do they, I mean, how do they start sort of figuring out the differences? I mean, I've talked to students in my role as a counselor who say, well, I like psychology, but... You know, and then I'll say, well, do you think you want to do research? Do you think you want to do clinical? And they go, well, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, that's one of the things you want to research because otherwise you don't really know what kind of psychology program you actually want. And they're like, oh. (laughs) So, which I think is pretty understandable for a 17-year-old. So I always send them... Um, as a place to research to the um, the website, not just the general website, but you can actually look up what are the psychology classes and what are those class descriptions. And I think you start to get some good information as to the orientation of the program as well. Yeah, I think before you go on a campus tour, your homework should be to dig into that school's website a little bit more, to look up your major. Um, and, and speaking of majors, those are great questions to ask. You know, I'm undecided. I'm thinking of psychology, but if I start undecided, how does that work? How do I get advised? What if I want to change my major? Is that possible or am I stuck? So those are questions that I think come up a lot for students who are feeling a little undecided. And I think the tour is a perfect kind of casual setting to ask that question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the good news, I mean, some students feel kind of overwhelmed when I tell them you have to do all this research first. So I've also told them it's okay if you do a couple initial visits, maybe to local colleges um, where you don't do that research and you just kind of go and you soak up the information. But as you start to become more serious, you really do need to start to define a little, mo- a little bit more maybe what you're thinking about, what, you're, what you actually want in a college. 
Yeah, you can have a test run at a local school or maybe a school you're not quite as excited about just to get your feet wet and have learned how, how the system works. And, and yeah, the questions can be serious and academic, but it's okay to ask questions about the social scene too. Like, what do students do on weekends? Is this place dead after 5 p.m.? You know, what are some of the most popular clubs on campus? So I think it's, it's good to be academic, but if you also want to ask about the fun stuff too, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Any last words for us? Um, sure. Okay. For parents, um, you know, you should be attentive and engaged in the tour as well, but I encourage you to be fairly quiet and let your child be the one to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that with the exception of I have prompted parents to tell students sometimes if a student isn't listening to their parents about something they need to, like in reference to the conversation Kenan and I had earlier, do I really need to keep taking math? Yes, you do. <laughs> I think sometimes that is a place where you can, uh, that is a situation where parents can help out their, uh, their student by asking that question in the information session, for example. Yeah, especially in some of the smaller info sessions or some schools, you might even end up talking one-on-one to an admission counselor after. I think that's a great part- time for the parents to step up a little bit more. But when you're on a big tour, I think it's nice for for the parents to kind of let the, the kids take control of the tour a little bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I'm going to emphasize, don't say things that are negative or positive. I think it's really good to help the student get form their overall impression, um, you know, because they might end up thinking, feeling very differently about a school than the parent does. But often, you know, they might squelch those initial impulses if the parents don't like it. So just as parents try, yeah, do try and kind of take a step back and let the kid, let your student make their own impressions. I agree. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much to Emily Toffel. Toffelmeyer and all my guests today. (laughs) All right. Now I want to tell you about our show next week. Beth Heaton, the regular host will be back and the show will discuss whether you should continue working, whether you should consider, excuse me, working with an independent counselor as well as how and when to arrange financing for college among other topics. So be sure to join us for that. Finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find past shows featuring topics like appealing a financial aid award and the always popular listener questions, which, by the way, we are always happy to get listener questions. You can post them on our Facebook page. You can send us uh, Facebook messages. That's a great way to get those questions um, to us, and we will answer them um, on the show. Um, And so also, if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time, and it's absolutely free. Um, And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.